0: We are in uh, an awesome series called Rethink where we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And each week you've seen we have Rethink and there's a new topic in there each week. So every week we've we well we've gone through identity, we've gone through destiny, influence, uh, calling, one other thing that I can't remember right now. And today uh, we're, we're going uh, through evangelism. And now when I just said evangelism some of you fi- like visibly physically cringed you're like Ugh, we're talking about evangelism today um, and if you've been around the church for a while if if um, if you uh, even grew up in church evangelism can give that reaction if you've if this is your first time in church if you've grown up outside the church. Uh, you probably have some concept of evangelism as well, and you're probably like, oh, yeah, I don't really like how, how the church does that. So today, hopefully, we're going to do a little rethinking through evangelism, and hopefully that cringing feeling you may have felt isn't there anymore by the time we're done today. I mean, Just think about it. Think about a couple things. Uh, think, about your f- think about your favorite things. Restaurants. TV shows, movie, films, um, music, uh, your, your spouse, your kids, your relationships. You have no issue whatsoever talking about those things and sharing them with other people. You have no issue evangelizing those things. So if you ate a, at an awesome restaurant, the best Thai restaurant in the city is a, t- is a restaurant called Pai. It's not Suko. Okay, I see you shaking your head already. It's not. I'm half Thai. I know. With <laughs> oh, that's true. It is only half. The white side of me likes it as well. <laughs> but it's the only Thai restaurant my mom has been to more than once in the city, and she's full Thai. So, <clears throat> Pi. And I'll tell everybody about Pi. I'm like, it's amazing. Go to Pi. Um, or you see, you see a, a movie, and you're like, man, this is an awesome movie. You need to go see it. Uh, A book, a lot of you guys are readers, Uh, I don't know if you've read that, how many of you guys have read The Alchemist? Yeah, that book changed my life, (laughs) but we don't talk about the Bible like that, do we? But that's such a powerful book, and I'll tell everybody about it, but how often do we do that about our faith, right? How often do we do that about Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life? I mean, Companies evangelize. We're being evangelized all the time. The world is doing it to us. Uh, the, I, I came across an article recently uh, that this guy, he's a chief evangelist of a tech company. Okay, so a lot of tech companies, when the tech boom started happening, uh, actually the guy who first pioneered it was, a, was the guy at Apple. His, his name is Guy Kawasaki. And he was, people trace back to him as being the first chief evangelist at a company. They, most people think that he coined the term and that um, he created this position at, at these tech firms. So this article says a few things about, <clears throat> about evangelism. He, and he says, your company needs a chief evangelist because of these five reasons. And it just struck me. as so amazing. So first one is create a transparent story. Does that sound familiar if, if, if you're a Christian? Um, we're, especially if you've been at Trinity Life Church, we're all about transparent, genuine community. One of the first chief evangelists was a guy named uh, Robert Scoble for Microsoft. And he was very transparent about the shortcomings of the tech industry and of Microsoft. And that's what started winning people towards towards, that's why Microsoft started booming. Um, Because of this transparency that he created in the industry. So create a transparent story. Number two is create a real inspiring story. Now, this is the tech industry gets that if something is going to transform the way you do things, then they're going to want to share it with other people. And this is evangelism. These guys are, they're in a the secular world, they're in the business world, and they're saying if we're going to evangelize our company to other people, if we're going to convince you that you need to be a Microsoft person or an Apple person, whatever it is, that uh, we have to create a real inspiring story. Okay, number three, adapts constantly. Anyone heard the term contextualization before? This is a fancy term that's that's used in the church for for. Uh, shaping the gospel to to certain groups. So when a missionary, for instance, goes overseas, goes internationally, they contextualize the gospel to that culture. Paul says this. He's like, to the Jew, I became a Jew. To the Greek, I became a Greek. To the slave, I became a slave. To the free, I became free. He's contextualizing. Tech companies recognize this. Uh, McDonald's recognizes this. If you've been to McDonald's in any other country, you see that they have different things on the menu. In India, they don't serve beef, they don't have, they don't have uh, hamburgers there. But McDonald's, still s- they serve other things. Um, in Thailand, they have not apple pies, but corn pies. Because for some weird reason, Thais love corn. Um, <laughs> I never understood it. Uh, they're actually not that bad, though. Um, adapt constantly. Number four, be opinionated. This we're like, oh, uh, uh, be opinionated. Uh, But basically what what the guy writing this article was saying, that you need to stand firm on your beliefs. I'm Guy Kawasaki. This is the Apple guy, the first chief evangelist, a lot of people say, in the tech industry. He said, my job, he described his job in this way, my job is to, I'm going to butcher his quote, but it's something like this. My job is to promote the Macintosh cult by whatever means necessary. Isn't that a crazy statement by, by a guy in the tech industry? But guess what, I'm an Apple guy. We're an Apple family. I have, or we used to have an iPod. Don't I guess this somewhere, somewhere. <laughs> Do people have iPods? You have your phone. So I have an iPhone, Apple TV. We have like three Macs. We uh, everything is on iCloud in our home. Pictures, videos, all that stuff's on iCloud. Uh, when I go to the Apple store, I feel like I'm in the promised land. I'm like, I'm home. <laughs> yeah, and then like, if you're at Yorkdale, in particular, the Mac and, I mean the Microsoft store is right next to it. You're like, those are the Canaanites over there. Like, <laughs> they don't belong here. This is the promised land. And, and what's, what's, what's interesting about this is, if we took a survey, most of you guys wouldn't be Apple people. Most of you guys are still working on that old school Android. I don't know, I don't even know what it is, all that stuff. Um, you're using Windows, you're using your PC, um, but NAC doesn't care. They know they're the best. They know they've transformed the way people integrate their lives, and, and they're, they're like the people of God in the promised land. They're the fewest of all peoples. Uh, Microsoft looks like giants, but they're going to stand their ground because they're, they're opinionated and they're going to stand firm. Number five, connect the dots. He says that in evangelism, if we're going to evangelize our company and our products or whatever it is, our services, we're going to have to connect the dots with people. We're going to have to show them how it integrates into their lives, okay? Now, take all those things and put them into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And basically, the tech industry has (laughs) stolen, it feels like they've stolen uh, what evangelism is in the church, what we're supposed to be doing because we have something that's transformed our lives—someone who has completely transformed everything for us—and if that's true for you, and Jesus has transformed everything for you, and why do we have such trouble sharing Jesus with others? If that's true, you don't have trouble talking about your wife, your husband, your kids, your job, uh, your travel, whatever you're passionate about—you don't have trouble talking about. But when it comes to Jesus, we're like, oh, I, I don't know. Um, One of the main reasons is because we're scared about what the other person is going to think. We're scared of of their reaction, Um, a number of those things. My first time, before I moved to Toronto, I was a youth pastor in the States. And a, uh, yeah, so youth pastor. Brought my youth up here. We served in Regent Park, uh, where the church started four years ago. And um, I was at Allen Gardens. This was my first time. Uh, I was at Allen Gardens and, you know, the conservatory there. I was hanging out with my youth. And there's a bunch of guys out there, like, just all ranges. And and this guy comes up to us and he's, no, actually, I think you're just standing there. Yeah, he comes up to us. He's like, hey, what are you guys doing? And so I go talk to him. He's he's a tall, you know, guy in his late 30s probably, uh, white guy, shaggy hair, hat, glasses, I mean, I can picture him perfectly now. Um, And I just started sharing the gospel with him. It was the first person I would we just got to Toronto, the first person I'd ever shared the gospel with in Toronto. And I was so nervous because I knew nothing about Toronto or Canada. And I'm like, how do I, how do I do those things? How do I adapt? How do I create this story? How do I like show him, how do I show him uh, these things? And because it was a new country for me, right? A new city. So I'm so nervous. I'm like, what is he going to say? How is he going to react to him? The guy was so mellow. He was like, he was agreeing with me and not agreeing with me at the same time. And he was laughing at all my jokes. Uh, it, was, it was awesome. <laughs> he was, yeah, just it was going so great. And I didn't notice this until he offered this to me. He'd been smoking weed the entire time. <laughs> and he offered me his joint, and I was like, wait, all this, you tricked me into thinking you're agreeing with me, <laughs> into thinking I was funny. <laughs> of course you're laughing. Um, and I, unfortunately, that's what sharing the gospel was like for a lot of us. We're so nervous That we miss, we're so nervous about how the person's going to react that we miss the person. And I was so intimidated that I missed who he actually was. And I was talking to somebody else, basically, um, instead of actually dealing with the person who was standing in front of me. So the bottom line is this. And this is what I want you to get out of the sermon today. This is what I want you to leave with today. Everything's going to go back to this point. And here, here it is. Evangelism is not about what you do. It's about who you are. Consider that for a second. Evangelism is not about what you do. It's about who you are. Now I know what some of you guys are thinking. And this does not, this does not negate words. We're going to see that in a second. Uh, one of the most misquoted people in the church, in all church history is St. Francis of Assisi. and Some of you guys probably know the quote I'm talking about right now. It's the quote that says, preach the gospel uh, at all times, if necessary, use words. There's two problems with this. One, he never said that. <laughs> it's, it's a misquote that got picked up centuries after he died. None of the writings two, two three centuries after him have that quote in it he never said that also his life doesn't show that quote he's one of the most voracious preachers of the gospel proclaimers of the gospel in all of church history but most of us know him from his life of poverty and so we think this quote fits him Um, so it's a misquote Uh, so a lot of you guys may have used that quote in the past oh, well, my evangelistic strategy is to just live a transformed life and people are going to notice that and I don't have to say anything. They're, they're going to notice that. You're using a quote that is misquoted. But, not, but if that didn't convince you, it's also very unbiblical. It's not a, biblical, a biblically accurate quote. When you look at Jesus, he's always pairing proclamation with his deeds. Always. He never does a deed and doesn't say anything. He always says something. Um, the Apostle Paul, we're going to walk through this passage in a second. You see that he's always doing that as well. Now here's the thing. This, this bottom line, when I say it's not about what you do, it's about who you are. When you When you're living a transformed life and you're following Jesus and Jesus has truly transformed you, you can't help but speak about it. You can't help it. It's a fire in your bones. There's something that the Spirit does in your heart that has to overflow out of you, and you just can't help it. You want to share Jesus with everybody. That's why when you see Jesus change lives in the Gospels, people run to their village and they tell everybody. And even after Jesus says, hey, don't go tell everybody, they're like, whatever, you just changed my life. And they go tell everybody. It's, they're like, they do it in like, disobedience it's kind of it's kind of funny how the scriptures uh, the scriptures portray that um so if that's the case for you if you're actually following jesus and he's actually transformed you you will live a transformed life people will see it but it's also going to come out through your mouth okay it's also going to be a proclamation that's paired with your transformed life so let's look at this passage we're just gonna we're gonna t- do two things this morning we're gonna walk through the first five verses of this chapter, and then I'm gonna give you some evangelistic or evangelism axioms, six of them, to hopefully transform the way you view evangelism. Okay, and hopefully unlock that for you, hopefully release you into it. Okay, so let's walk through the passage first. So beginning in verse one, it says, Paul, Paul reading, and I when I came to you, brothers and sisters, so he's he's He has come to them, right? He planted the church in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. Paul has not set foot in Corinth yet. He comes into Corinth, and he goes to the synagogue first, shares the gospel, and then he goes to the Gentiles, those who are non-Jews, and he begins sharing the gospel. Um, And then we see a church arise out of that. And, and people accept the, the message of truth, the message of God, the message of Jesus Christ. And they become believers, and the first church is established in Corinth. So this letter that we're reading is this letter to the first church in Corinth. So he says, when I came to you back then, uh, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming to you. And, and, and proclaiming is, is key, right? This is a word action, okay? This is him speaking. It's, it's verbal, right? So he, he says, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony, uh, the mystery, the witness of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So he said, Paul does not do it in a certain way. He doesn't do it with speech that's over our heads. That's what this means. It's kind of lofty means it's, it's over us. He doesn't try to persuade us with eloquent words and wisdom. Uh, and, and this word testimony here is, can actually be uh, translated as mystery, the mystery of God, that, that God has orchestrated this and planned this for the ages, and, and God is actually revealing part of his wisdom that is outside of our wisdom, his unique wisdom to us. And it's his. It's not ours. It's not by human power. It's his. And Paul says this, For I des- decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, now, this this statement is is uh, is kind of a, a uh, I don't think metaphor is the right the right word but something like that uh, where Paul isn't actually literally emptying everything out of his mind right so when he says I decided to know nothing it's it's implied that uh, it's not that like he's emptying his mind of everything it's it's implied that he's making Jesus Christ the cross Christ crucified the linchpin the hinge the center of everything and he says everything comes from this and this one event in history is going to transform everything for you and later on in first corinthians 15 paul says that the resurrection if we don't have the resurrection then then us as the church we're, we're of people to be the most pitied. Like our faith is nothing if we don't have the resurrection. But Paul's already established that the cross, we don't have the resurrection without the cross, right? This is why like a, a um, there's, there's other, like other world religions don't recognize that Jesus was raised from the dead, but they also don't, a lot of them don't recognize that he was even uh, killed on a cross, And so Paul is saying, if we don't have that, that that is the center of everything, then we have nothing. Okay? And then he'll put on the resurrection to it later. Verse 3. He says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Does that sound familiar? How many of you guys, last time you shared your faith, it was in fear and weakness and, and much trembling? Uh, I feel like every time I share my faith, it's in fear, weakness, and, and much trembling. Um, even the Apostle Paul feels this, right? Even the Apostle Paul feels this fear and weakness and trembling. Now, his is a lot different from ours. A lot of our fear is rooted in something else. Paul had, uh, had been stoned for sharing the gospel before. Paul had been uh, lashed in the back a few times for sharing the gospel Paul had been beaten up, punched in the face, kicked in the stomach. He'd been put in prison. Uh, a lot of things had happened to Paul for sharing his faith, for sharing the gospel. I would imagine the majority of us, if not all of us, haven't had a lot of, a lot of those experiences. So our fear and trembling and weakness is, is different from, from Paul's, right? Ours is A lot of ours is rooted in fear of the other person, what I said earlier, someone's reaction, uh, Paul didn't fear that, and and in this context where Daniel talked about the past couple of weeks, Paul says that God's power is made known in our weakness, right? So he wants to come in weakness. He wants to do this in weakness, knowing that God's power is made known, which is what he says next in verse 4, and just one more note on that. It's okay to feel that way, guys. It's okay to feel apprehensive and, uh, and weak or powerless. Um, it's not okay when that prevents you from stepping forward in faith and obedience and blessing. Because if you're not, then you're stepping away from faith into disobedience and away from blessing. Okay? Um, so don't, be, don't feel condemned if you feel that way. Okay? Just don't let it stop you from living out your faith. And he says here in verse 4, 4 and 5, and my speech and my message. Now, he didn't say my actions and my attitude or my deeds and my attitude. He says my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. And that word plausible is uh, words that are enticing or persuasive. He's like, I didn't come here to entice you into the gospel. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not holding a, a fruit that you follow and, and you're enticed by it. He says, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. And the construction there where it says of spirit and of power is really an unusual construction in, in the Greek language. And basically, it could be translated as the powerful spirit, the demonstration in the powerful Holy Spirit or, or powerfully in the spirit. Okay, so Paul isn't saying, I came with power. He's saying the spirit has come in with power. Okay, and there's, there's a difference there. He's like, it's not man's power. It's only through the demonstration of the spirit's power through my speech and in, in my message. The demonstration of the spirit is the proof of this. He says, it's the experience of this. And I don't know what it was like for you when you heard the gospel for the first time. You might have totally rejected it, and you might be in here right now hearing hearing it for the first time, and you're like, this makes no sense at all. Um, but there's something unique in, and this is the paradigm in the scriptures. You hear the word, you trust and obey the word you identify with the word and this is usually through baptism through you when you identify with Christ you identify with the word in baptism and then you experience the spirit this is the paradigm throughout acts this is the paradigm that we see in the new testament and in the church today we have we have. We're good at those those other things. We're good at saying, "Hear the word, trust the word, obey the word." We say that all the time. We're good at saying, uh, "Identify with the word, baptism." Uh, we're not so good at, at, at knowing what it means to experience the Spirit. But that is an experience all throughout. Just just read read through Acts. Uh, there's this one instance where where uh, the missionaries come up to a, a group and they say, "Have you received the Holy Spirit yet?" Like, no, we're we baptized, but we're baptized into the baptism of John, referring to John the Baptist. And they're like, "Oh no, you need the Spirit." And and all of a sudden, they they identify with the word that's preached, the gospel message, and they experience the Spirit for the first time—the power and the demonstration of the Spirit of God. Has that happened to you? Have you experienced the power of God in your life? The demonstration of the Spirit? I hope I hope if you're a follower of Jesus, you have. Um, uh, if you should have, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, it's not magic. You the spirit dwells in us. Okay? But we see this paradigm through the scriptures, and this is why. Uh, Curtis and I were at an Alpha gathering this past week, and we do Alpha at the church. And this is a group for seekers and sometimes new believers who come in and have just big questions about the faith, and and they try to um, they just need a safe place to to ask these questions and to pursue pursue these questions. And Alpha creates that for them. And I realized at this meeting that we were at that. Alpha has been kind of like a program for us. It's been like something we do on the side. It hasn't been something we're all invested in as a church. It hasn't been our church's way of doing evangelism, our evangelistic strategy. And what Alpha provides for us is this evangelistic outlet for us to uh, have Alpha in the rhythm of our church and to invite people into seeking into asking, into reasoning with God, and Alpha is set up like this paradigm in the Scriptures. It's set up on on hearing the Word, on on trusting and obeying, on uh, identifying, and then and then at the very last weekend in Alpha is called a Holy Spirit weekend, where where they're trying to 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 lead you to experience the demonstration and the power of the Spirit, and this is and Curtis and I were talking a lot about Alpha and how it can how as a church, we want our church to, we don't, if we're gonna live on mission as Trinity Life Church, we wanna, be, we wanna see people come to faith. We didn't plant this church four years ago uh, to just gather a whole bunch of Christians. We, get, we wanted to gather Christians in order to see our city transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we wanna see people come to faith. Um, we're having a baptism next Sunday. Um, and so if you're still considering baptism, it's not too late. You can still talk to me about it, but we we would have to do it this week. Uh, Just let me know. Um, But we're going to see next week that the beauty of baptism and identifying with the word, with Jesus Christ, in his his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection into new life is such an amazing experience um, for the community, but then for those who are are identifying with the community of faith, um, that there's just something spiritual about it. And I don't know what it is. We don't have to know what it is. We don't have to quantify it. But there's something amazing about stepping forward in obedience and blessing uh, when you get baptized. And so we get to experience that as a church together next week with a few different people. And it's going to be really awesome. But here's the thing. If you're seeking, if you're trying to figure out faith, you may have a lot of questions. But uh, John is John, yeah. John's right here. In our BOG this week, John said, Sometimes you just need an experience with the spirit. And then, guess what, guys? You might find answers to your questions, or you might find that your questions don't even matter anymore because you've actually experienced the spirit of the living God. Now, how amazing is that? How glorious is that? That's what we have to offer people. So let me give you a few evangelism axioms for us as a church, but you as individuals as well, on how we want to do evangelism as we engage the city, but also how you, when you are with your coworkers, with your family, with your neighbors, with your uh, anybody, with your BLG, um, this is how we should view evangelism as a church body at Trinity Life. At Trinity Life, so number one, these are all really pithy statements. So evangelism is about access not success. Evangelism is just making yourself available to people, guys. It's giving people access to the truth, to the gospel, to light, to transformation. It's not about you saving people. It's not about what, what, what are my metrics of success if someone responded or how they responded. And hopefully that frees you from the way someone's going to react towards you because it's not about that. It's about just giving someone access. If they don't want it, we can't force them. And we don't want to force them. They need to accept it themselves. Uh, my wife, Missy, our worship pastor, Adam, grew up in separate parts of the world. Adam, born and raised here in Toronto. It wasn't until he was like, 23 years old that he heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ in this city. Missy grew up in the Bible Belt in the U.S., And it wasn't until she was almost 20 years old that she heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should not be happening in our city. It should definitely not be happening in the Bible Belt. It should not be happening in Toronto. We want to give people access to the gospel. We want to give them access to the truth. We want to give them access to transformation. If we believe it's done that for us, we should just share it not worrying about what people think about us or, or, or how they accept it or respond to it because we're just called to share. Uh, number two, I don't remember these, so... Yeah, here we go. <laughs> evangelism is about sacrificial love, not saving lives. Okay, for a long time, if you've grown up in church, you went through all the 90s... I don't know how old you are, 90s, 2000s of different ways to share the gospel. There was evangelism explosion. There was... Um, the Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames thing. There's a whole bunch of different things. Um, The shortcoming of a lot of those different things (laughs) is that they weren't about sacrificial love. They are about saving lives. If your goal is to save lives, then that's the wrong goal. That's the wrong objective in sharing your faith. Because guess what? You don't save lives. Jesus does the Spirit does, God does, we don't do it. We just share and we love and we sacrifice our reputation, we sacrifice our uh, position in the company, we sacrifice our uh, homes, we sacrifice our families in order to see others one to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when people see sacrificial love, and Jesus says the world's going to know us by this love, then they're going to want that gospel. They're not going to want the gospel where we say we're trying to convert people. Where we say, oh, if you don't get converted yet, I don't have a relationship with you anymore. No, no. Love says we have a relationship with people no matter what. Jesus says even our enemies we pray for. Even our enemies we pray for. And if you you know anything about prayer, that's the closest you're ever going to be with somebody is when you're praying for somebody. He says even pray for your enemies. All right, number three. Evangelism is about intentionality, not passivity. It's about intentionality. You have to be looking for opportunities. Eyes open, ears open, heart open, hands open. You actually have to be looking for them. Very rarely do evangelistic opportunities just fall in your lap if you're not geared towards them. Okay? Because when they do, the moment passes by and you're like, Oh, I should have said something. And it's gone. And then you feel guilty. That's not of God. But you feel guilty because you didn't say anything. Okay? But start out by being intentional and not passive about it. And you'll see opportunities everywhere. It's so easy to turn a conversation to, uh, to the faith. I have a, a rabbi friend. He was rabbi of one of the largest synagogues, temples in the city, Beit Sedeq. He lives on my street. He is just a few houses down, maybe four houses up, four, five, something like that, five doors down. And, uh, and we became friends because we didn't, like, uh, our BOG put on this thing in our neighborhood, and, and we did, we, I met him through that. Um, but he's not, he, he's never going to come to my door and ask me about Jesus. He might, maybe, but he's 75 years old or something. He's been a Jewish rabbi for 40 years, something like that. Um, he's not going to, unless the Spirit's working on his heart, he's, I don't picture him knocking on my door. Uh, so guess what I do? I make time in my schedule to go see him. I mean, he's five doors down. So I walk to his house, I knock on the door, and, and we'll just talk about the Old Testament, what he calls the Bible. I would never call it the Old Testament to him. We'll talk about the Hebrew Scriptures, and, and we just chat about it. And uh, ah, my heart just breaks for him because I feel like he's so close because he's Jewish. But he's so far away because he just can't see Jesus Christ fulfilling everything in the Old Testament. Um, But I have to be intentional about it, okay? Um, All right, number four. Evangelism is about faithfulness, not fruitfulness. Uh, Again, this this is kind of like don't get, don't, don't get caught up in the the end result. Just just be obedient. Alex in B O G on uh, Tuesday night. Yeah, we had B O G on Valentine's Day, and we did French food. It was elegant, and <laughs> it was nice. Sorry, Leticia, that yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was uh, Alex shared this story. He said there's this missionary, and after you shared, I, I verified it. Because uh, I was like, oh, I've heard that story before. Um, he said, there's this there's this missionary uh, back in the early 1900s, and the missionary's from Ontario. This guy's from Ontario, yeah. So a missionary from Ontario goes to Africa, and he just go. He's a medical missionary, doctor. He's like, I need to do something with my domain and my faith. So he goes down this river in Africa, and he just hits all these villages along the river, and he's sharing the gospel. He's he's um, uh you know offering his his medical services as well and he's just sharing sharing his faith and rejection 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 and he's there for I can't remember how many years but he's there for years and all this rejection he he comes back to North America I think he went back to he went to the states actually after that um and he dies not knowing anything like he dies maybe even thinking he's a failure and what he did had no kingdom influence. 84 years later, um, these people are flying over, and, and they land in that area, and this is what's considered an unreached people group, all these people. And they're going down the river, and they see church after church after church plan, after multiplying church, after reproducing church, healthy, healthy churches just all along the river and the point is if we're focused on faithfulness god's gonna do that stuff in his timing okay god's gonna work the spirit is gonna move and if we're just focused on hearing trusting and obeying god and just living a transformed life and speaking about it then he's gonna do the work and he's gonna build his kingdom we're just giving people access to that truth All right. number five there's two more number five Evangelism is about sharing transformation, not information. A lot of times people are like, well, I don't know what to say. Or what if they ask a question I don't know the answer to, right? You may have had that rebuttal in your mind. But it's not about information. It's about transformation. And you're just sharing out of your own heart transformation, out of your own life transformation. And here's another thing on this. There's some of you who've like take Adam and Missy who I mentioned earlier. They didn't grow up in church. Uh, they they became believers later in life. Some of you guys as adults have become believers. I see I see Mindy over there. Um, yeah, I'm talking about you. Uh, you know uh, Stephen over here. You guys came became believers uh, when you're older. And there's some of you guys who grew up in church. You became believers when you were young. My my daughters will have that opportunity um, because because they've been in this church since, like, they were born, basically. <laughs> um, this is what I hate about the dichotomy we make. So a lot of times those who have grown up in church feel like their, their testimony, and you may feel this way, that your testimony is not as powerful as someone who became a believer later in life because he was... Like, I I have a friend, he was a cocaine addict, and God just, like, totally transformed his life, and um, just total, complete 180. And you're like, man, when that guy shares his story, like, it's so powerful. But guess what? The same power of God, the same power of the Spirit transformed him and transformed you. And you have tremendous power in your story of transformation, whatever it is, because it's the same gospel. The power of the gospel does not depend on how bad you were. It depends on how good God is. That was an awesome statement. I should just say that again. (laughs) What What did I say? I was like, wow, yeah. The power of the gospel does not depend on how bad you were. It depends on how good God is. Yeah, there we go. There you go. That's awesome, right? So be released by your story of transformation because it is unique to you, but it's with the power of God that we all share if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, number six. There are six, right? Okay. (laughs) I thought there were. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Evangelism is about hearing God not fearing man. Evangelism is about hearing God, not fearing man. Mankind, I should say, like a, that, that term. Um, we need to be able to, if we're going to see opportunities for evangelism, we need to be in a vibrant relationship with God. And then we're going to hear God, we're going to trust, we're going to obey, and we're going to share. I was in St. Jamestown, well, Seth and I, um, it's been probably a month since we've done this because of sickness and stuff. But we regularly pray in St. Jamestown. So every Wednesday we go to St. Jamestown, we pray. We we have meetings with community leaders. We pray over the community. We pray about the direction for our church. As you guys know, St. Jamestown is our local engagement place. It's our strategy. It's where we are engaging the city. Um, And we've been doing this since last year. And it starts out slow because we're building relationships. We're serving with our hands. We're, we're um, praying over the community. We're saying, God, where are you moving? We want to join into that. We want to be where you are. Um, so in the fall, I got there, I got to our, our meeting early. And I had, um, yeah, I got there early. I was sitting on a bench outside the community corner. And I was just praying over the community, praying over St. Jamestown and, and uh, this lady walks by uh, with her with her young daughter, and I just hear the spirit say, "Speak to her, like go talk to her." Um, and you're like, "Oh, that's weird. I've never had that before." Well, I mean, it's just a thought, an urge, and that's God talking. We'll we'll talk about this next week or in two weeks. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the mind of Christ. This is First Corinthians chapter two. Um, so felt this urge to talk to her. Um, and I'm like, it's just me, and she's there with her daughter. Like, how do I approach this? What do I say? So I was like, "Hey, how was your daughter?" (laughs) Like, of all things, like I say the creepiest thing I could say. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) how was your daughter? (laughs) It It was, yeah. I recovered quickly. I was like, no, no. I was like, I have two daughters. I was like, she looks like she's around three. And she's like, three? She's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, well, I have a six-year-old and a five-year-old daughter. And, and so we started talking about the daughter. She sits on the bench next to me. I found out quickly she's from Tanzania. She's been in, she'd been in Toronto uh, six or eight months at that time. And within a minute, we're talking about Jesus. Not because I forced Jesus on her, but because she was just so open to saying, to asking questions about Canada. Uh, and and uh, what I was doing there, and things like that. And I was like, you know, I was just here praying. She's like, oh, well, I'm a Muslim, and you know, we pray too. And she starts talking about her faith. I start talking about my faith, and I'm just listening to her, and we're, we're chatting. And then Seth walks up and kind of ruins the whole dynamic. <laughs> I'm like, go away, Seth. <laughs> um, but it's so easy, guys. It's so easy to just make yourself available and just listen to the promptings of the spirit and God will prompt you and in St. Jamestown we have an incredible opportunity so um, I want you guys to take a look at this video and then we'll wrap up light the Lord is God he has made his light to shine upon us your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up he'll bring forth righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. For it is you who lights my lamp. The Lord my God turns my darkness into light. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk then as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. For you are children of light, children of the day. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Send out your light and your truth. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, for the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's just to give you a a picture of St. Jamestown and what God has called us to in our city as a church. That this is a community that is right here that we get to share the light and the love of Jesus Christ in. And church, it's, it's really, it's just, it's time to wake up. Romans 13 says that the night is far gone, the day is at hand, and we should wake up to this reality, that salvation is nearer to us today than when we first believed. And Paul goes on and he says, therefore, put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may no longer be distracted by the things of this world, by your sin, by what people are going to think, by uh, whatever you want to put in that blank, but you might be focused on Jesus Christ because he has transformed you and you have that power to give to other people. Whatever Jesus has given you was not for you to hold on to, it was for you to give to others. And what God does to you, he wants to do through you. Remember that, church, that we are children of light, that we're children of the day and we're created to walk as justice walks in the noonday. And we get to do that together. And you get to do that wherever you are in the city. And we get to point people to the one who transformed us. And so I just want to encourage you this morning to f- make a decision to follow Jesus. And you may say, well, I am a follower of Jesus. But I want you to make a decision to actually follow Jesus as a child of light this morning. And if you're not that this morning, if you're, if you're trying to figure this whole thing out. Everything that I said to you this morning is what Jesus is offering you this morning. So I ask that you would respond accordingly to that. God is calling you and he wants you as his son or daughter in the kingdom so now you can be a child of light. Let's pray. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.